Turn in your Bible with me, if you will, to the love chapter. That's 1 Corinthians 13. And while you're turning there, I want to share with you something that may shock you, uh, but it is a truthful statement. You married the wrong person. We might as well say it, right? Now, some of you are shocked and you are surprised, but it's just time you take the blinders off. Let's admit it. You married the wrong person. Some of you are not quite as shocked, right? You're just glad somebody finally said it out loud. You married the wrong person. Some of you aren't married yet. Just wait, you will marry the wrong person too. Now, what do I mean by that? I, I do not mean that you missed your soul mate. We hear a lot about soul mates. If you watch enough Hallmark movies or uh, enough uh, romantic comedies, you know that uh, you have a soul mate somewhere out there. You need to find your soul mate. Uh, but I want you to know that uh, that's just not the case. Uh, it, it, it's not statistically possible for one, uh, interestingly, people have actually written about this, and with the number of people on the planet and the short life spans that we have, there is no statistical way you would ever find your soulmate if you had a soulmate. Uh, it's just a mathematical impossibility. Uh, but also biblically, there is no such a thing as soulmates. Uh, you don't find that in Scripture. There are no instructions on how to find your soulmate, on waiting for your soulmate, on what to do if you can't find your soulmate. There's no strong biblical precedent for soulmates. Absolutely, it is not a biblical thing. Uh, in fact, most of the marriages in the Bible uh, were arranged marriages, and there was no romance at all, at least in the beginning. Uh, this was simply a business transaction uh, between one family and another family, the whole idea of soulmates, listen, causes great destruction to marriages today. And not just to young marriages, but I think all marriages, because we have in our minds this idea that if we could just get the right two people together, that there will be this chemistry, that there will just be this fitting together, there will just be this completing a puzzle kind of thing where one piece perfectly fits in with another piece and makes a beautiful picture. And we think that that's how marriage should work, but it doesn't. If you have a great marriage, it's not because of chemistry. It's not because you found the perfect fit. If you have a great marriage, it's because you have worked at it. Marriage is not the result of a fit it is the result of being committed and working hard. And you can see this in a number of ways. One interesting thing is that arranged marriages that I mentioned a moment ago, those still happen. You might not know that, uh, but here in, in America, they happen some. And then in other cultures, it's the norm. Arranged marriages, statistically, and I know you have to be careful with numbers here because there are cultural differences, but statistically, arranged marriages are at least as successful as romantic marriages. Did you know that? And, and really the statistics, just the unadulterated statistics say that they are way more successful than romantic marriages. Marriages are successful not because of a fit, not because you found a soulmate, 
but because you have worked at it. So I'm not saying it doesn't matter who you marry. I'm just saying that what does matter is probably not what most people think. So if, if there's not a soulmate for you out there, how could I stand here and say you married the wrong person? Well, I'll tell you how I can say that because, and just hold on, nobody amen this, but just listen to it, because you married a sinner. Did you know that? You married a sinner, a selfish, self-centered sinner. Now, some of you have never wanted to amen so badly as you do right now. We've all married a sinner. I married one, my wife married one, and you married one if you're married. We've all married sinners. So what do we do? We married the wrong person. Well, once we recognize that there are no soulmates, that this isn't a chemistry thing, a puzzle piece thing, once we recognize that we have married sinners, then we're in the place that we can use the principles of God and we can build a great marriage. So you've married the wrong person, but there is hope. And I want you to see that hope in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call this the love chapter, and I want to read beginning in verse 4. We're really going to focus on just one verse, but I want to get a, a running start here. I want you to see the focus of the chapter before we get into our focused verse. Verse 4 says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. And then everybody focus on verse 7. It, speaking of love, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I want us to focus on that word all this morning and what things that includes and what we should do. I think here in verse seven, we have a quick, simple, truthful outline that can help us build a great marriage once we know that we have married a sinner. Now, I know that everybody here is not married and everybody here uh, there are people who won't ever be married for one reason or the other. Uh, hang with me. This is God's word. It'll benefit all who hear it, all who listen to it. And we're going to focus on married couples this morning or, or people who will one day be married. But I, I promise you God's word will not come back void no matter who you are or what your situation is. But what can we learn from verse 7 about how to build a godly marriage once we know we've married the wrong person? Well, the four commands are very simple. You see them, don't you? First, love bears all things. Now, we've already established that we've married sinners. So what do sinners do? Well, by the very definition, sinners sin. They sin with their words, they sin with their attitudes, and they sin with their actions. Sinners sin. I sin. I sin against my wife. My wife sins and she sins against me. In every marriage relationship, two sinners have come together and sinners sin. So in light of that, what should we do? 
Well, he tells us here that we should bear all things. That word bear, it's interesting. When you look at its original, it's connected, though it's a verb, with the noun for roof. What it's talking about is being a roof. Now, what does your roof do? The roof over your house. The roof bears the beating of the weather, right? The sun beats down on your house, but the roof protects the family that lives within. The rains come, the storms come, the snow, the sleet, the hail, all of that comes. But, but we stay in our houses very comfortable. Over the last two weeks, we've had all kinds of storms here in Nacogdoches, but, but we sit in our, house, in our homes comfortable and dry because the roof bears the brunt of the storm. And so in our married lives, there are going to be some storms. There are going to be some sins. There are going to be some offenses. There are going to be words that shouldn't have been said, actions, attitudes that shouldn't have been embraced. What should we do? Like a roof, we should shield our marriage from those sins. Another word that we could put here for the word bears without changing the meaning is the word forgive. Love forgives all. When there's sin in the marriage, we should be quick to forgive. When, when somebody sins against us, and this would be true inside a marriage or outside a marriage, but when somebody sins against us, the first thing that comes to our mind is that we should strike back that we should blow up, that we should pout, or we should sulk, or we should make a bigger and bigger deal out of it. But what this verse tells us is no, we should bear all things. We should let it roll off of us like the water rolls off the roof. We should take the blunt of the storm. We should shield our marriages. Now I know that sounds hard, and I, I know the stories. Uh, I've heard your stories. I, I'm, I'm in a marriage. I know the stories that sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it seems unfair. But the Apostle Paul makes it very clear here in verse 7. Love bears, and it's speaking of sins, love bears all sins. Love bears all uh, offenses. Listen to how Peter says it. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. What he says is that love, when there's sins, love takes those sins, digs a hole, and covers them up. Love doesn't demand that every sin be paid for. Love doesn't demand uh, a retaliation when there's a sin. Love sometimes just digs a hole and covers it up. Paul says, love bears all things. Now, I know what some people are thinking. Pastor, where's the limit? How much sin should I bear? How, what kinds of sin should I bear? And I'm not saying to you this morning that there's not a, a limit. But listen to what Paul says. Love isn't looking for where to draw the line. 
Love looks for how to cover a multitude of sins. The attitude of love is not how, where, and how can I put my foot down and say no more. No, the whole attitude of love is I will bear all sins. Now, I want to be careful here. This does not mean that you should stay in an unsafe situation. If you're in a relationship and it is unsafe for you or for others, you should get out. Hear that clearly. You should get out. The Bible doesn't say that you should stay in an unsafe marital relationship. And if you can't get out, you should call on friends in your church. You should call on your church to help you get out. But listen, there's a reason the Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to say the word, to write the word all four times. That love uh, uh, bears all, it hopes all, it believes all, it endures all. We don't need to be looking for how we can be an exception. We need to be looking for how we can cover over a multitude of sins. How can you take a marriage a marriage between two sinners and make it a great marriage, let's be committed to bearing all that can be, that can be forgiven. I know that people have stories. And so I've been a pastor a, a long enough and I've talked to enough people through the years. I know people have stories. Well, pastor, let me tell you what uh, my spouse did. Let me tell you what my husband did or what my wife did. I know everybody has stories. But recognize that this verse, verse 7, is written to people who have stories. I mean, if you had a perfect relationship where, where there was never an offense, then it wouldn't be necessary to write that love bears all, that love endures all. The only reason he's saying to bear all and endure all is because people have stories, right? But don't be quick to assume that your story means you're an exception to this verse. If we're going to build great marriages, we have to start with this foundation, love bears all things. And I'm not looking for a reason that that doesn't apply to me. I am looking for how to overcome and bury a multitude of sins. Now, I want you to see, before we move on to the next phrase, I want you to see that this is not just a command from God, but I think this is also a plea from your spouse. And I want to be careful with this and not read too much into the scripture, but in just spending some time on this this, uh, this week, I think you see two things in each of these four commands. You see the instructions that come from God, but you also see, importantly, you see this plea from your spouse to how, how they should approach you. And, and here's how I think your spouse would say, uh, love bears all. I think your, stout, your spouse would say, be patient with me. See, my, my wife is over here, Donna, and we've been married almost 24 years, 24 years this summer. And uh, I think God has given us a great marriage. I know God has given us a great marriage. But my wife married a sinner. And I disappoint her. I have bad attitudes. I say things I shouldn't say and do things that I shouldn't do. Uh, my wife married a sinner. So here, Donna, is what I want you to see in this, in this verse. Not just the command from God, uh, love bears all, 
But the plea from your husband, be patient with me. God's still working on me. And I got a long ways to go, but God's working on me. And I want you to think of your spouse saying those words to you. God says, love bears all. I say, be patient with me. Be patient with me. There's a second command here in verse 7. Not only it bears all, love bears all, but number two, love believes all things. Love believes all things. You know, we were wired up. We have been created with the desire to be accepted, to be loved, to be admired, to be, to be cared for. We all have that in us. When, when children are young, they desire that their parents will accept them, that their parents will show them love. In fact, children who don't receive the love of their parents grow up with all kinds of problems that will haunt them the rest of their lives, right? And, and so children have this desire. And then, and then teenagers, uh, it, it's expressed in the form of peer pressure. They want to be accepted by their peers. And so they want to conform. They feel pressure to do what's expected of them. And it's because we've been wired up to be accepted, to be admired, and to be loved. And then when we get into adulthood, for, uh, except for those who have been called to singleness, it, it's expressed in our marriage, I need my spouse to accept me. I need my spouse to love me. I need my spouse to admire me. And that's something that's built in all of us. It, it is what God has put in us so that we would come together and have families that would nurture one another, that we would have, that we would have marriages that would honor God. God has created this in us. In fact, and this is no excuse for the sin, but when you, when you talk to a man, when I've talked to men, uh, who have committed adultery, almost without exception, the person with whom they commit adultery, the woman with whom they commit adultery, is almost always somebody who admires them. And they are drawn to that, which is no excuse. It just, it just speaks to how we're wired up. We all desire to be admired, loved, and accepted. And so Paul says here in the second part of verse 7, Love believes all things. Here's what you do to build a successful, a wonderful marriage between two sinners. You have to choose to believe, to accept, to admire your spouse. You know, if I asked you to write down a list, to make a list of everything your spouse does that is irksome, childish, and selfish, Okay, you could make the list. You've been married more than a day. You could make that list, right? And I tell you, the very ac action, the very activity of making the list would be poison to your marriage. Whether you ever showed the list to, to your spouse or anybody else, it would be poison to your marriage. Or if you sat down and you made a list of all of the reasons you admire your spouse, all of the praiseworthy things about your spouse. And you made that list. Whether you showed it to anybody or not, it would be like a B12 shot for your marriage. I promise you. We're to believe all things for our spouse. Uh, years ago, I served in a church where my office door, I had two doors to my office one went through another office, and that's the door I used. But there was a, another door that we just kept locked all the time. We never used it, and it, it, it opened right out into a hallway. And it was the same hallway, uh, Andre, that people would, 
the choir would use to line up to go to the choir room. And so the choir room, they had to wait to get in it because there was somebody else in it before they would go in just before the worship service. And so they would line up there. And this thin little wooden door, it was the same group of ladies that were outside my door every single Sunday. And uh, I would have to turn my music up. I want you to know I wasn't trying to eavesdrop. This was one of the most disconcerting things. But I heard it, and I heard it, and I heard it. Uh, they would stand outside that door, and they would badmouth their husbands. It was like there was a competition between them. That, w let me see. Let me show you. My husband's worse than your husband. Let me show you. Let me tell you what he did irresponsible this week. Let me tell you how he was insensitive. Let me tell you, he didn't pick up his socks, and he didn't take out the trash, and he, did, he said this thing that he shouldn't have said. And, and so they just sort of went around the circle every week, and they just talked about how terrible their husbands were. And you know what? Their husbands probably were terrible, right? And, and their husbands were probably somewhere saying the same thing about their wives, and they were probably just as right as the wives were. You know, we've all married sinners. But, you know, I would cringe when I would hear that because I thought, you know what those, those ladies are doing? Without knowing it, and they were godly women who loved, loved the Lord, but they were poisoning their marriages. See, love believes all things. Love looks for reasons to admire your spouse, to, to praise your spouse, to, to, to believe in your spouse. And love looks for ways to respect your spouse, to support your spouse. Love doesn't look for ways to tear down your spouse. We must believe all things. So if that's the command from God, how does this sound when it's a plea from one person to the other? I think it sounds like this, Donna, please accept me. I, I, I've, I've got some, some failures. I, I have some faults and, and, and I, I mess up often, but Donna, accept me. Let, let, let's hear this both as a command from God, let's believe in our spouse and let's hear this as a plea from our spouse, please accept me. Now, there's a third command here, verse 7. Not only does love bear all things and believe all things, but number three, love hopes all things. Love hopes all things. Now, a lot of people don't know what hope really is. Hope, and, and listen to this. This is a definition that will serve you well. Hope is, is when you're going through a difficult time. So in front of you are some difficulties. Maybe it's going to be a few days of difficulty, maybe a few years of difficulty, but you're going through some difficult time. Hope is when you look beyond the difficulty to the other side, right? Hope is when you say life is hard, but it's going to get better. Hope is saying, I'm going through chemotherapy, but I hope to get past this cancer. Hope is, I have teenage kids, but I'm looking forward to when they move out of the house, okay? So, so hope is when you're going through a hard time, but you look to the relief on the other end. So here when he says, hope all things, he's telling us that when, when we face difficulty in marriage... What we need to do is to focus not on the difficulty, but what's beyond the difficulty. If you just focus on the difficulty, I'm telling you, you will wallow in the mud and you will sabotage your relationship. But if you will focus on the future, 
If you will focus on how you know God is going to provide and how you know God is going to bless, it will give you strength in the present. So occasionally I have to counsel with someone who's considering suicide and other ministers in our church do the same thing. It's, uh, it's always one of the most difficult uh, counseling uh, encounters. But when I talk with someone who despairs of life, it is always true that I'm talking to a person who is too focused on the present and not enough focused on the future. Does that make sense? You can get so focused on today's problems and the struggles in today's marriage and the disagreement you had this morning or yesterday. You can get so focused on the financial pressures. You can get so focused on the, on the failure in intimacy. You can get so focused on today's problems that you see no way out. And you make unwise decisions and you say unwise words and you tear down something that didn't need to be torn down. We have to hope all things. We have to keep our eye on what God's eventually going to do. There will be times of stress, times of sin, times of sickness, times of scarcity in our marriages. We should hope all things. So that's the command of God, hope all things. How, how does this sound when it is a plea from our spouse? I think it's this. Donna, don't give up on us. There will be some hard times. There will be times when money is tight. There will be times when we're frustrated with one another or with the kids or with the house or with whatever. Donna, don't give up on us. Now, the fourth command is this, endure all things. So love, uh, lo love bears all things, love believes all things, hopes all things, love endures all things. It's interesting, this word endure, in, in the original language, it was a military word, and it, it was used of holding a vital position, a, a military position. You're guarding the, the hill or the, or the fort and guarding it at all costs, with no consideration of the likelihood of success. This is a remember the Alamo kind of thing. Endure all things. Well, we might not make it. Well, you might not. But you don't quit because you might not. Endure all things. That means that you fight for your marriage. Listen, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. God says fight for your marriage. God says fight for your spouse. Sometimes we see the word endure here and we think the word patience. And, and love is patient. In fact, that's the first thing we read in verse 4. Love is patient. But patience means to wait. Endure means to fight. Now we do need to wait, but we also need to fight. We need to fight for our spouse. We need to fight for our marriage. This isn't something we can be casual about. We must fight for it. I believe that every good marriage, every great marriage, is a great marriage because two people have fought for it. And I think in almost every case, a failed marriage is because somebody failed to fight. Listen, it's not because there was bad chemistry. It wasn't because one of you was a sinner. 
Um, there is no such thing as chemistry, and both of you are sinners. It boils down to this. Love endures all things. And so I thought, well, what would this sound like from your spouse? How would they say this? And I think very simply, they would say, fight for us. When you think about our marriage, you'd say to your husband or wife, please fight for us. So I, I, um, I, I wrote a poem this week. And so all together, this means I've written in my life one poem now, okay? It's, um, I mean, you may want to pull out the tissues. I've written a poem to my wife. She has not heard it. I know she's nervous. Um, it's very romantic. In fact, I'm, I'm just uncomfortable. Maybe you should just turn around. Turn the television cameras off. But no, I want you to listen to this. Uh, it, it's it's tongue-in-cheek, but it's really not. Uh, it, it, this, this is, I, I think, uh, the, the, the foundation that we learn from verse 7. This isn't just something we made up. This is biblical. I, I think this is the foundation of what it takes to build a godly marriage. So, Donna, you ready? You are a no-good, selfish sinner. <laughs> Of that, there is no doubt. I told you it was romantic. You are at least the second worst person in this marriage. Some people have to think about that a little, little while. But Donna, I love you. And you are the woman I've chosen before the Lord. For the glory of God, I will fight for you. And I will fight for us. I'm not going to give up on you or on us. I will bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things for us and for the Lord. Donna, I will likely never be famous or rich or strong, but... If our marriage can point to the power and grace of God to unite two sinners, then I will be successful. And God will be honored. And you will be blessed. And I will be content. Now, if this sounds impossible to you, here's what I want you to hear. This is exactly how God loves us. I was just overwhelmed this week thinking about this. You know, when I prayed to receive Christ, as a 17-year-old, and I made God some promises. I repented of my sins. I meant it with all my heart. But God knew on that day that in a sense it was a hollow confession. And it was an impartial repentance because I've sinned a bunch since then. And I've repented a thousand times. And every time God knew that my repentance wouldn't last, but God has loved me and he has believed me and he has forgiven me. 
And God says, I will never leave you. You will always be mine. And see, the reason we should do this, the reason we can do this in our marriages is because God has done it for us. So if, you, if you've never received the forgiveness of God, you're going to have a hard time bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. In fact, it's going to be impossible. But if you have experienced that from the Father, then you have the capacity to give it to your spouse. With your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to issue a challenge in two ways. Number one, would you respond to the Lord? God loves you. And he's willing to forgive you based on the work of Christ if you'll call upon him. Adopt you in his family. That can happen right now. If you'd say, Father, I know I'm guilty of sin. My sin separates me from you. But I believe Jesus died on the cross. And while I know it will be imperfect, I turn from my sins and I ask you to forgive me. Would you do that right now? Now, if you're married this morning, you married the wrong person. You married a sinner. And so did he, so did she. But God can build your marriage if you will love her, if you will love him like God has loved you. Father, thank you that you've blessed us like you have. And help us to learn from the love that you give and to give it to the ones we love. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.